0: Hello, I'm Jason Hatcher, Managing Principal of Navigator's Western Operations. Welcome to The Western Edge, a Navigator podcast featuring the latest perspectives on Western Canada's biggest stories. This episode, I'm joined by Marcella Monroe, Head of Government and Regulatory Affairs for Tech Resources. Tech Resources is a diversified natural resources company with operations in Canada, the U.S., chile and peru tech is engaged in mining and mineral development including coal for steel making and also other critical minerals including copper zinc and energy with more than 15 years of experience in government relations policy development stakeholder engagement and strategic communications marcella is joining us to chat about all things canadian mining well welcome marcella it's great to have you here and great to have an opportunity to have a quick chat
1: Yeah, it's really, really, thank you so much for the invitation.
0: So, uh, Marcello, I think you have recently joined Tech Resources, so you're kind of new to the mining industry, but not new to energy or mining or any of those things, and the other... Uh, sort of jobs you've held or or experience you've had in your life. Tell us a little bit of what it's been like joining tech and and what you're doing there.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm in in the world of tech. I'm kind of a baby. Um, So many people who've had careers at tech have have been there for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And so I've I've been there for a couple months now. Um, It's been very exciting um, just being in the world of Government affairs and communications over the years. I've I've obviously always known of tech. Somebody who spent a lot of time in BC. Um, tech really has a had a big presence there for many years. And so it was quite exciting to be asked to join tech. Um, it was. I'm pretty passionate, as you know, about natural resources and the critical role that they play in the Canadian economy. The excellent jobs that they provide for people, economic benefits. Um, but re- what really attracted me to tech uh, and, and made me excited to have this position is how progressive uh, tech has really been over the years. Um, you know, the leadership of Don Lindsay and just making sure we're really focused on not just doing the best we can to produce great resources for the world, uh, but also that we're doing it in a sustainable way and taking our climate uh, challenge very seriously. Uh, And that's a, you know, that's a 360 thing with tech. And so it's not just about taking the climate challenge seriously. It's like, how do we make sure that the people that work with us and work for us, uh, get all the opportunities they can to, to learn and grow with the company. So yeah, I guess you could say you can tell I'm pretty, pretty excited to be here. So
0: I don't remember a time, honestly, outside of, of perhaps, uh, you know, reports of, of of challenges with with a specific mining event or whatever the case may be. Usually on the negative side, to be honest with you, uh, or, or whatever the case may be. But I don't remember a time when mining was in the news or or so so involved with policy or the policy that we're seeing from our federal and provincial governments. Um, what's going on in mining? I mean, obviously it's all connected to, to critical minerals, which I want to talk about a little later on, but maybe just tell us a little bit of what you think about mining being upfront and why that is, and, and, and is, the, is the sector really ready for that kind of scrutiny?
1: Yeah, look, I think we're in a in a critical time with with mining because we have two urgent issues we're confronting as a planet, right? So the first one is, of course, the existential threat of climate change and the need to address it. And mining has a very important role to play in that. Um, you know, the reason you're hearing more talk about critical minerals is because those are the those are the products that we're going to be able to produce that will help us turn the corner. We hope on climate change. Uh, they're vital for everything from solar panels to electric car batteries and clean technologies, you you name it, there's a role for critical minerals in those, right? And so, you know, the World Bank, I think, forecasted that we need about 500% increase in the production of these minerals, uh, if we're going to try to limit our global temperature rise to two degrees Celsius. And so that's, I think, why mining is kind of front and center. Um, and of course, the other crisis facing the world that's, I think, just added to the pressure on mining is this uh, geopolitical uncertainty that we're facing. Um, so, you know, when, when Russia decided to go to war with Ukraine, uh, that became also a big problem for our supply chains in the sense that, you know, the big produce, Russia's one of the big producers. And so when, when countries in Europe and elsewhere started to look for, um, you know, other ways to provide them with their supply of different critical minerals, Um, to get away from basically buying them from Russia, uh, that just added more pressure. So I think that's the moment we're in right now. And that's why you're hearing more about mining.
0: And we're certainly seeing that discussion you know, across energy production fronts, no matter what form of energy it seems these days with, with the global yeah. impacts. But maybe before we go too far down the road, let's just go real to basics, right? Because critical minerals is kind of a newish phrase, if you will, but it, it's not a new concept. Obviously, we've, we've needed some of these critical minerals, copper, et cetera, et cetera, whether it be for electrical transmission or now in the dawn of, of EVs. And we're actually beyond the dawn, I think, really, of EVs. We're, we're getting into it now. But, but yeah. what are critical minerals? and like, let's let's treat me like the dummy I am. What's what's critical minerals and why are they critical?
1: Uh, well, different governments, uh, of course, would describe different different ways that what they view as critical minerals, but there's, I think, some consensus on some basic ones. So let's just, I mean, let's talk from tech's perspective, right, because we produce several of them. So we've got operations in Canada, the US, Chile, Peru, um, and several of the things that we produce that we're experts at producing would be on that list. So, so copper and zinc <laughs> being two key ones. Um, and so, uh, you know, to your point, these are the things that we need to make things like electric vehicle batteries, to make solar panels. Um, and that's why these have been identified as critical minerals, because they, they're they not easy to mine, first of all. Um, and they're critical in the sense that they exist in specific pockets around the world. And so it really is going to take innovation and investment to make sure that we're getting enough of these resources to market uh, to produce the to produce the technologies we're going to need in the carbon transition,
0: well, I, and you, you mentioned that. I mean my understanding of some of the critical minerals is is the low hanging fruit found, if you will. so so now it's like you say it's getting right. a little more challenging to get some of those critical minerals, yet the demand is is through the roof, particularly on on the copper side. Where do you see sort of the future of this in Canada? How are the deposits in Canada? You know, what role can Canada play in the supply of critical minerals around the world, but well, specifically here in Canada for our own climate change goals? Uh,
1: thanks. So, you know, I think there's a couple of things, as we saw in the federal budget, right? The, the federal government has really recognized that we are rich in a lot of these uh, critical minerals, uh, and that we, but we are going to need to pull some triggers to make sure that we can, we can make the investments that we need to make, right? Uh, otherwise, we're going to lose these opportunities for Canada to compete in jurisdictions and some of them some of them, most of them probably won't um, be very good at it and'll we'll, we'll certainly not be as competitive with us on the, on the carbon on the carbon side, right? And so um, but to your point, a lot of the critical minerals we know we have in Canada exist in places that are um, hard to get to right? So we know there's probably some pretty rich resources in places like Northwest Territories um, or, you know, northern parts of the different provinces. Um, And that more importantly, so they're hard to get to, they're probably going to take some technological uh, engineering brilliance as we have in abundance in Canada to get them out of the ground in a sustainable way. But they're also going to give us a challenge on the electrification, right? Because Mm -hmm. part of the part of the real puzzle here, if you will, of how we're going to get the minerals that we need out of the ground is going to be how do we get electricity to these remote areas? Um, and so, you know, we've certainly been facing that with our Elk Valley project. You know, we're trying to decarbonize very quickly uh, in, at tech resources. And part of that, a big part of that decarbonization is looking at how we electrify some of the processes at our mines. Um, but that means we probably are going to need more transmission to that grid right? And so, um, you know, if the permitting takes too long, or we just as a country can't figure out how to increase uh, electrification of those sites, then that's going to basically put a pause on that, that's probably going to cause uh, different investors that might be looking to make those investments to take a take a second look and say, well, if we can't get this done in a timely fashion in Canada, like where can we get it done? And so I think that's a very serious challenge. And it was good to see the federal government in the budget really recognized, I think, that that specific challenge and, and looks like they're going to try and help work on it.
0: That's you've led me to where, exactly where I want to go next, but I can't help it you know, I see the irony in the fact that, you know, everywhere we hear more electricity, we need more electricity. The same thing I'm hearing now in, in mining. And of course, we need that copper to do that. So it's a, it's a really interesting sort of uh, a relationship if you will so how important you mentioned the, the federal budget and and the investment i think they they put in up to 3.8 billion dollars into uh, canada's critical mineral strategy as they're calling it how important yeah. is this in terms of investment is is this a start do you see it i mean you're talking about going to different places remote places i hear yeah difficult to get there that usually means it requires a lot of money and a lot of investment so how important is this strategy
1: well, we think the strategy is incredibly important. Um, look, the Mining Association of Canada certainly tech uh, was was certainly um, arguing for much of this. What we've seen in the federal budget strategy uh, for the last couple of years, in fact, uh, again, I think we just happen to be at the right moment, uh, both with geopolitical. Things going on, as well as in in, the, in our climate change, where the federal government looked at the package, if you will, and said, "Yes, this is something Canada needs to really grab onto." Um, and uh, you know, we're seeing also our friends in the United States trying to aggressively grab onto some of these opportunities as well. So this is certainly the moment to be doing it. You know, our big concern um, with the federal budget, you know, we think that they included a lot of the a lot of the levers, if you will, that they need to pull um but two big concerns for us one if you if you've noticed Jason like a lot of that a lot of what they outline in the budget doesn't come into effect right away right yeah. so they're they're looking now at timelines that are saying we're going to start in 2023 2024 um we'd like to see them move that timeline up uh, we we you know we don't think uh, this is about reinventing the wheel uh, none of these policy policy levers that they want to pull are are things that should be too mysterious to set up and we think that the moments right now it's certainly what we're hearing from the investment community um, and then the other thing is just this regulatory challenge right and so for example again with our steel making coal in in Elk Valley which we believe is a critical mineral and I can talk a bit about why if you if you'd like but but that's with that steel making coal mine again the electrification challenge like if we want to ma- meet our Targets as well as help the federal and provincial governments meet their targets for net zero. um, We really need to be able to do things like turn our haulage trucks into EV or or hydrogen uh, in the next, you know, four to five years, and we need to start, you know, electrifying our coal dryers. Well, if we want all that to happen, we've been told by BC Hydro, for example, that that permitting is going to take them eight to ten years. So. Exactly. You know, this is this is really the that's a really good example to me of the of the the crunch time that we're facing for the regulatory system, um, and that's something I think both the federal and provincial governments are going to have to help with.
0: I mean, look, there's a lot of timelines. So you set off the get go. You know, look, climate change is the great challenge of our time. It's it's a threat. It's a real thing. We know that. You know, we've got 2050 is kind of that big date that's out there for the whole globe to lower emissions and and arrest the arrest the, the continuation of climate change. But you've also hit on a couple of really key things. I mean, the federal government has put out some pretty aggressive uh, timelines in its environmental plan. You and I were at Globe together and, and were there when that was announced. That's 2030. But you've mentioned the amount of investment that's required. You see, the mine, as you say, that mining strategy, those investments are coming a little later. They're not right away, as you point out. And that, that whole regulatory piece, if we're gonna build mines, or if we're gonna build CCUS uh, facilities, where the case we they take time to, to put the bricks and mortar, if you will, up and around that. And we've got the regulatory process, the consultation process, on and on it goes, important pieces of any major project, of course. What roles can the federal and the provincial governments play in like speeding this up? Because on one hand, we've got our leaders saying, we gotta move, we gotta move, but we've got these processes that don't seem to be really matching the urgency.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the. Uh, I was gonna say million dollar question. It's yeah. probably more like a billions of dollars of questions. That's right. Um, Look, I think I think one big one big thing. There's a number of things they they can and should be doing, but but one of the big pieces of the puzzle, in my view, really is about our relationship with the Indigenous peoples. Because to my view, you know, uh, we we fully embrace reconciliation at Tech. Uh, we've long been working on you know, interesting uh, different kinds of partnerships and agreements uh, with mm-hmm. our First Nations partners. Uh, many of the big, as you know, natural resource uh, companies have and do. Uh, But they have, you know, a government to government right now uh, to um, have, uh, you know, negotiated uh, agreements. We need their we need their consent. And so that is a crown challenge. Right. Um, It's no longer it used to be that that companies that were doing the right thing could negotiate those things on our own. But rightfully so, that's no longer the case. It's clearly in the in the crown's responsibility to make sure that uh, indigenous populations are well served by the regulation and are um, you know able to have realistic discussions. So what does that mean? Um, well, we're just finding out, right? and And the governments, I think, are moving uh, at different levels to try and figure those those questions out. So I think a couple things. Like one, I think there's got to be a lot more federal provincial coordination on how mm-hmm. we're going to address this issue of consent because I I think it's very difficult for just the province or just the federal government in any jurisdiction really um, to understand what that looks like on a project by project basis. So I really think it's some coordination. We also really believe that resources uh, need to be, more resources need to be provided to indigenous populations to be able to enable them to participate in, in these challenging regulatory processes so that they can so that they can you know make good decisions and that they can be a real part of that decision making process. And so we really that feel mean like their owners,
0: Marcella. sorry to, well, to interrupt you, but does that mean they're owners? Is that an equity position? Because we've seen that a little bit proposed on oil and gas side uh, vis a yeah. uh, some projects there.
1: Well, it could be. Look, I think it's it's case by case. But I think the point is that a lot of these Indigenous groups don't have the resources in, in their organizations that they need to be participating in the processes. And then from there, you can figure out you know what does getting to consent look like is it more equity stake is it more like actual financial partnerships you know is it is, is it can we move beyond the idea that it's just a benefit package because i think that's where the conversation's going and so i think the crown again both provincially and federally can play a pretty important role in helping to make that discussion happen um, and maybe in that in that process, the crown can also look at some actual historical things they need to take care of. You know, fun fact, actually, when the US put zinc on their critical minerals list, tech became the largest critical mineral producer for the United States. Um, and that's because we co-operate the Red Dog Mine in Alaska, which produces mm-hmm. zinc. And by the way, that's a partnership with NANA, which is the regional Alaska native corporation. And we've had that partnership in an ongoing way for many years. Right. So there is a perfect example of, you know, we kind of jumped into that quite happily and it's, it's been very successful for us. So I think there's, what I'm trying to say is I think there's models that we can look Mm -hmm. at. I don't think we should be reinventing the wheel all the time, but I do think the crown needs to probably move a little bit a little bit faster, I think there's a bit of, um, to me anyway, there's a bit of paralysis right now as they try to work through uh, how they move forward. Well,
0: you you, know, you mentioned sort of tech's approach and tech seems to have been very successful at bringing people to the table. And really, this is what it comes down to. And listeners to this podcast know that I've been Talking about this for, for, for a little while, that if we really believe in climate change, if we really accept that it's a it's a threat to, to who we are and, and our existence, if you will, then we need to get everybody at the table. Let's let's get yeah. oil and gas, David Suzuki, tech, everybody all at the same table, and of course the, the policymakers themselves. We've seen some cooperation now at the federal level between the NDP and, and, the, and the federal liberals. We're going into to our, our next big provincial election cycle, really kicking off with Ontario uh, in the coming days and weeks here. Um, how kind of I, I put you on the spot now because you've been over in, on the policy development side and, and you're on the private sector side. How do we replicate some of the things that tech has done, but more broadly and by bringing people to the table And and what how optimistic are you that we can get there on something that is as critical as critical minerals? Because without them, we're not getting there. Let's be honest
1: wow that's a big question i mean i think (laughs) you know we uh again we just we kind of try to um we try to lead by example i think is part of it Uh, but i do think and i you know Don just finished his his term as the head of the business council of canada Um, and so you know i think i think ceos and leaders uh like don that are passionate in believing that you know, we do need to have a lot more dialogue and a lot more coordination. And we, you know, we, we do need these tables, um, need to continue to step forward, you know, because not all leaders, unfortunately, have that cooperative view. I think the ones that do are the ones that are going to help us uh, make a difference. You know, I'm, I'm always encouraged when I see governments of any political stripe, doing things to bring people together to tables to actually try to work out problems. So I'm not talking here. I mean, consultation, sure. And, Lots of governments do a lot of consultation and that's great and it's what they should do. But, you know, I was just hearing Minister Wilkinson last couple of weeks has been talking about, he wants to set up provincial energy tables. And at first glance you might say, well, that's, is that something, you know, the federal government should be doing? Uh, But I kind of think like the idea of the federal government, which, you know, doesn't regulate the way local electricity and energy systems work uh, acting as a convener, to just get people around the table to have the discussion is not a bad role for a federal government to play. And especially where something like the electricity grid, which has to work nationally, <laughs> um, it is going to need to be coordinated at some level to make sure that our companies are successful in the energy transition uh, and in our decarbonization, so I think that's a good example, and I think there could be more because sometimes you can work out a problem, you know, just by having a kind of open discussion and from a meeting of minds. And I think that that's not a bad role for a government to play. And and uh, you know, they've certainly put aside enough money to do things like this electrification grid, as an example. So you might as well get down to the nitty gritty and have a have a discussion about it.
0: Well, look. You know, the Mining Association of Canada has called, called this a, a once-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunity or once-in-a-generation opportunity. And, and I think you're right. And that's one thing, you know, we haven't really seen the federal government do. There's been too much us and them, uh, I, I think. And yeah. there's an opportunity for the feds to to really be that con- convener. But I want to go back to tech a little bit here um, because you guys are doing some really interesting things, particularly in that coal space. So I've got to ask you, we talk about clean coal. Um, <laughs> what makes clean coal clean?
1: Job. <laughs> well we don't call it clean coal we call okay, it steel making coal right <laughs> we call it steel making coal because that's yeah. what it is you know it is that metallurgical it is coal right metallurgical coal yeah. yeah and you know it is it is chemically different like some 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 of the geologists that work with us are like, you should, probably shouldn't have called it coal to begin with. It's not the same, <laughs> not the same, but whatever. You know what? It's coal, but it's steel making coal. And so what we have right now, though, is the global demand for steel making coal is going to grow tremendously. Um, they think between, I think it's 2019, 2020, 2050, Southeast Asia and India will have like 130% demand growth for steel right because their populations growing they're building infrastructure they're trying to move people out of poverty so where does that steel come from well about 72 75% of global steel production relies on steel making coal so now you start to see you know how how steel making coal is so important to the world but mm-hmm. then you look at you look at what we produce in British Columbia so our steel making coal is actually among the highest quality in the world and has the lowest carbon emissions of our peers. So these are, in terms of companies, and something Canadians can be proud of, like in terms of companies in different countries that produce steel-making coal, that's seaborne, in other words, we're shipping it uh, out to other countries to use to make steel, um, we're the best of the best. Uh, And so that's what we pride ourselves on at, at Tech. And so when you're talking about, for instance, wanting to displace Russian coal in Southeast Asia or India, then you would love for tech to be a part of that solution, right? Because otherwise, if tech's not producing this steel making coal and if we're not able to ship it, um, then you're risk losing this business to competitors who honestly don't have the same carbon uh, regulation or environment that we have and that just have lower environmental performance. And that's you know not good for anyone. So why is it, why is steel making coal important to climate change? Well, it takes about a hundred tons of steel making coal to build a single wind turbine which is nine times more than what it takes to build a typical gas-fired plant. So think about that for a second, right? Um, that's a pretty big number. And so you, and you need making coal to build, you know, think of all the big things that you need to build for, for decarbonization are obviously going to be related to steel, including your um, new electric vehicle cars, right? So that's why we think steel making coal is so critical. Uh, we think it should be on the critical minerals list in Canada. It is in Europe, by the way. Mm-hmm. Europe has realized uh, that it's important. It's on their list of critical raw materials. Um, and because we produce a low carbon intensity, uh, we think we're leaders in the world, and that's something Canada should be proud of. And we also think there's a global strategic reason why you'd want to put the stamp of approval on our steel making coal. You know, we've already got the lowest scope one and two emissions. We're working on scope three. We're committed to net zero by 2050. So these are all the ways in which, in which tech is trying to be a global leader. And we're still trying to do better, right? Like we're going to invest in the next few years, as I said, like a, a billion dollars, both in electrification of our big haul trucks and in our coal dryers on site. And that's going to save us, we think, about a megaton uh, a year uh, in terms of GHG emissions once once it's all ready to go.
0: It's incredible the amount of investment that's happening in energy. know on all sides of the equation right now and and in terms of trying to get that carbon footprint down maybe just a few minutes on you know are we doing a good enough job of telling that story to ourselves within canada because we're seeing this innovation happening in so many places that investment innovation i've just mentioned we're seeing it from the federal government but we're also seeing and from provincial governments we're also seeing it from industry and we're often kind of going back to that convening and trying to get people across the table break bread and maybe Find solutions. We seem to be more focused on beating each other up. We're not doing enough. We could do more. But as you said, there's a lot going on. Where where do you see that conversation going? Where does it need to come from? Is that governments need to start telling that story, or does industry need to do it better? We've talked on this cast about oil and gas and them telling their story yeah. better. Is is mining ready for that scrutiny? And do they have? Are they ready to tell that story? And how important is it? That's a lot of questions. Jeez. <laughs>
1: Look, I, I think that this budget was a, such a watershed moment for us in mining, because I think for people, you know, and obviously the general public doesn't read the details, but even the general public probably got a glimpse that the federal, because it was such a, it was such a big push in the budget for mm. critical minerals and mining. I think that the, that was a good signal for the, gov- for the government to send so that Canadians could start to, to look at that and say, oh, there's probably a really big opportunity here. You know, for us globally, if, if the government's ready to call out this whole industry and say that we're critical, I mean, they said it, I don't, you know, I've said it today, but they, they said it in the budget that basically, both geopolitically and uh, to fight the climate challenge, we have to double down on our critical minerals mining in this country. Um, I think that's a good first step. Um, I think we're going to be called on more, obviously, with this kind of uh, focus to tell our story. I do believe the major mining companies in this country uh, are ready to do that and that we will be able to do that. We're always under enormous scrutiny. We we ask for regulation. We We like to be regulated. It's good for us with the investment community, frankly, that we have like a good carbon price regime here in this country. Uh, And that we are, you know, hell bent on reaching our own net zero targets. But I do think we're it's in a it's a very I think, Jason, what I worry about is that we are in a it's a very quick moment where um, if we aren't able to act in a in a timely fashion, we are going to lose these opportunities to other jurisdictions. Uh, And so I think that that's the pressure is really on us to move you know, rationally and responsibly, but as quickly as we can to take advantage of this moment. And so that's what I say, like, we, we we really need the federal government, I think, to think about moving up the timeline a bit. I mean, the, the time is now. You're not seeing in the United States uh, are wasting no time in trying to move fast on this, on this set of issues. Um, and so we've got to at least keep pace with that.
0: Yeah, it, it's, I don't know it's, if
1: I answered your question there, but. I'm well, yeah, I answered one of them, <laughs>
0: maybe a couple. I asked a bunch, so just pick the one you like. But, you know, it, it seems to me that there, there needs to be room for honest dialogue, too. We need to be able to talk about things like metallurgical coal without being distracted by the world word coal. You know, we, we need to recognize the interconnectivity of mining to to our climate change goals to the development of EVs and and the electrification of of a number of industries. And we've had that conversation on this program before about oil and gas and just how do we, what are the impediments? How do we get to those honest dialogues? And and again, I guess it's kind of goes back to the theme I've been asking the last few minutes here, you know, how does industry tell that story and, you know, do they rely on governments or do we need them to go out and start telling their own story on their own a little bit?
1: I think we need to do a better job. I mean, some of the things that seem probably obvious to us, whether you're talking about oil and gas or steel making coal or zinc or copper or anything else, like I think it's obvious to us because we talk to each other about it so much, Mm -hmm. you know, where the link is between decarbonization and the products that we produce, right? Um, But I do think we need to make that more plain spoken in terms of how we talk to Canadians about it. I do think it's just as much our responsibility as the government, like the government can't, uh, and shouldn't be in the business of solving our communications challenges for us. <laughs> you know, that's why we're in the private sector. Um, and I think we are starting to be more clear about those links. So, you know, when we when we talk about our steelmaking coal, we, sh- we need to tell Canadians that we are very low in our CO2 emissions, that we are best of the bunch globally. And why would they know that if we weren't the ones telling them? Um, you know, it's it it is our responsibility. The same with, uh, you know, I love the analogy of saying it, it takes you know a hundred tons of steel making coal to make a wind turbine because I yeah. think uh, people have in their minds somehow disconnected these you know large physical infrastructure projects which are very critical to fighting climate change from where you get the material to do those large infrastructure projects there seems to be a disconnect but these these as we know these physical products whether it's a wind turbine or an electric vehicle don't fall from the sky uh they actually come from the ground and so we need to be really clear with canadians about that um and because i don't think it's obvious to everyone um, and they should, Canadians should feel confident and, and proud, in my view, that we do as, as a country have so many of these critical minerals, you know, in our country, we have a, a lot of resources that we can develop. Um, and it's a big opportunity for us. And so why wouldn't you want the world needs the, these materials to decarbonize? Why wouldn't you want those materials to come from Canada?
0: Yeah, and if we, if we can't get them here i mean private companies are going to going to go elsewhere to look for them because it's it's the world is moving as as you, as we both acknowledged and you know with the timelines you know starting with 2050 and the other timelines we've talked about today you know companies don't have time to wait the demand is growing by the day so it's it's going to be interesting how optimistic let's finish off with the the old optimistic pessimistic thing how optimistic are you where are we going to be in the next 10 years
1: well i mean i'm really optimistic about tech i mean we're just um you know obviously we just had a cr- crazy first quarter (laughs) uh, (laughs) because resource prices are, um, you know, quite bananas, but as we know, it's cyclical. And so, you know, I'm very optimistic as long as companies like tech tech and our intention is certainly to double down on producing critical minerals, you know, expand our production of things like copper uh, and zinc and look for other places in the Americas uh, where we, where we mainly are mining uh, to do so. And so, you know, we're, um, we're certainly very positive about that we we really believe that our, you know, our value is to, you know, provide these essential resources, the world's counting on, to make Mm -hmm. life better and to decarbonize uh, and do so in a way that's protecting the air, sea and land that we work around, right. And so that's our number one commitment that we're very focused on. And and so we feel pretty positive about that. It's always challenging. Working, trying to, you know, as someone who worked in government, getting government to work at the speed with which some of these challenges occur isn't always easy. <laughs> but um, I think we're just we're just bullish about our ability to do it. So we're just we're just going to keep saying and doing all the right things, and and hopefully uh, everything will come along with it.
0: Well, you know, we need market leaders like tech in this country to continue that innovation and continue that investment. You know, whether it be in actual development of resources. But also in those relationships, it's all a part of things like reconciliation, which we talked about earlier. But there is so much more I'd like to ask you and talk about. I think we're going to be talking about this for for many years to come, and and I think it's going to be really important. These critical c- critical mineral d- uh, discussions and climate change is is not going anywhere. It's just going to intensify in the coming uh, in the coming years. So uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us and explaining this today. And uh, hopefully we can chat about this again soon.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Jason.
0: Well, that wraps up our second episode of this series of The Western Edge. What a great conversation we had today with Marcella Monroe from Tech Resources about critical minerals, the future of the industry, why the world needs more Canadian mining. A big thank you again to Marcella for joining us this week. Now, next week, we're switching gears, but bringing, yes, another critical conversation to the podcast that you won't want to miss. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channels at The Western Edge and our Twitter at WestEdge by Nav to never miss an episode. Thanks for joining us and thanks for listening to The Western Edge.